Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ernie De Los Santos, founder and faculty chair at Appeal Academy and creator of Top Gun Audit School. We are live on the January 13th, 2017 edition of Finally Friday, our first show of the new year. And I do want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with us here on Finally Friday. Today's Finally Friday broadcast is sponsored by the Health Law Partners, providing solid advice and real solutions for healthcare business nationwide. One of our partner firms is Recovery Analytics, Sharon Easterling's company. She does auditing and education, often authors articles for AHIMA as an AHIMA fellow, and she is a co-host on the show. Finally, Friday is now also sponsored by Zermed, the leading provider of financial and clinical performance management solutions using breakthrough predictive analytics technology to help you get paid faster, more fully, and more cost-effectively by both payers and patients. You can visit Zermed.com to learn more. And finally, we are also partnered with the Council for Certification of Medical Auditors, CCMA. They're the creators of the widely used Certified Medical Audit Specialist or CMAS certification. And we're proud that we've been approved to offer CEUs for our shows. You should check with your organization to see if they'll accept these CEUs. I've heard that most of the larger organizations do uh, accept them. So, you, but, uh, so go check that out yourself. Anyway, this week we're proud to have another industry expert with us, Mary Gregory, who is the president and founder of MAS Coding Solutions and who is one of the few people I know with as many or more certifications as Sharon Easterling. And she is a certified ICD-10 trainer as well. Now, we've had Mary on the show before to go over ICD-10 updates last fall, and today we're excited to have her back to go over some of the changes that the American Hospital Association has commented on for coding clinic guidelines, which is, of course, the ICD-10 code sets official authoritative reference published quarterly by the AHA Central Office. Now, as usual, we do have our weekly panel with us. We have Dr. Maria Johar, who's a full-time physician advisor, coming to us from ProMedica Hospital System in Ohio. We also have our revenue cycle expert, Sharon Easterling. She's an auditor and author with her own company, as I mentioned, Revenue Recovery Analytics. And she's the creator of her newest product, which is called DocBite. Uh, you should go to her website for more information on that. And then there's Bill Mom, who's a certified medical auditor and physician assistant, and he's the managing director of his own company, Health Revenue Integrity Services. So before we get going, uh, I do want to make clear that the opinions shared on this show are those of the panelists, not necessarily representative of their employers. My opinions are also my own, of course, and no one else's, especially not those of our sponsors. And finally, these shows are offered for educational purposes only and certainly are not offered as legal advice. We do our best to provide great, accurate, and conservative education for free and at least point you in the direction of solutions. Yeah, now, you may notice that we're not too formal and try to have fun on the show, and frankly, if you don't notice that, then you're just not paying attention. But before we get started, uh, for those of you who are new to the show, I do want to show you a page and talk to you about how to use that control panel. 
at the top of the page in case you haven't done that before. So let me see if I can get over to the website itself. If you go to any page on appealacademy.com and you scroll down a little bit, you'll always find this box with the green buttons that oddly enough looks like the ones on your screen. If you click on that, it opens up and gives you a whole page where it explains everything about how to use those buttons. In particular, you should open the chat box because this is a discussion, not a, uh, not a lecture necessarily. So we want you to be able to ask questions and make comments as we go along. Just open the chat box and you can type away in there. Keep in mind that you're talking to basically everybody. It is public uh, for all those who are logged into the show. So please keep your comments professional and respectful. Anyway, so, uh, oh, other thing is there's, there's a way for you to zoom in on the screen and if I don't happen to be zoomed in enough for you. And then there's also a participants list. And if you open that, you'll find that you are the one listed at the top. You, if you point at you, it will let you put your name in. You can do that or not. That's up to you. You'll see in the participants list that some people do because you can talk to them individually uh, in the chat box as well. Okay, so enough about that. If you, are, again, are new to the show, you should know that you can get the handouts every week on the Finally Friday, this week on Finally Friday page. And if you scroll down or you can click this link that says get the handouts and it jumps you down the page to the spot where you've got, again, information on how to use the control room, uh, how to get the audio if you have trouble with it at some time. And then here are the handouts. So this week we just have the slides. We'll have a video replay of the show. Uh, later after the show, of course, we'll also have a podcast that you can download or listen. And there is a, uh, there's a podcast. It is listed in iTunes, so you can go get it from there if you want. Uh, that way you can go listen to it on the go anywhere you want. Take it with you. Here's the CMAS CEU certificate you can download right there. And there's always a preview uh, or a replay of last the previous show right there. And if you want to go get handouts and things from previous shows, you go to Finally Friday menu, choose past weeks on Finally Friday, and you can go see the whole list of uh, past Finally Friday shows. If you're looking for something in particular, type it into the search box here. You don't have to give it a category or a tag. Just put a text in, and it will search the site and look for that. Like I said, there's one done by Mary Gregory before last fall uh, where she talked about the, the uh, coding guideline changes, uh, but there have been new ones issued for this latest quarter, and that's what she's talking about today. So, okay, enough from me. Um, I did not put any news in this week's show because I'm afraid of running out of time to be able to talk with Mary about all the things that um, she has to talk to us about. So, uh, but Bill, uh, you had some things I know that you'd seen in the news this week. You want to mention anything that you thought was important to you and Sharon? I know you guys were talking about there was some quality stuff that came out this yeah, week. There, I don't have the link. There's but. a bunch. There's some quality stuff going on. There are quite a number of people posturing for what might become. Um, but I want to stress that there seems to be a massive understanding in the marketplace that even if they repeal and replace the ACA, it doesn't repeal or replace MACRA 
or any of these other quality initiatives that are going on um, to move us to value-based purchasing um, and to move us away from fee-for-service. So it doesn't really change that. It will affect things like bundles, payments, and maybe accountable care organizations, but it doesn't affect the alternative payment models. Um, so we have to kind of be aware that even if they replace this whole thing with something altogether different, that piece that moving us away from fee-for-service and into fee-for-quality and fee-for-value is still seems to be marching on unabetted. So we're going we're gonna to watch at that. Um, so lots, lots of things. We'll, we'll maybe do a next week, Ernie, uh, uh, news update and help okay. everybody understand where we're at today. Yeah, I was just getting back in the swing of things this week, so I didn't have much chance to to uh, pay that much attention to the news. But we'll be back on it next week uh, and and see what we can do. And okay. there was a prior um, show we yeah. did that talked about the history of the quality programs and where some of those actually arose from. So you can go back and look at that on the website. There was a webinar too that you guys told me yesterday you signed up for that you thought looked pretty interesting. I don't have the link. It, it is. Um, it's at AHRQ. We'll put that link up. I don't know that. It, it's at AHRQ. And if, you, if you're not looking at AHRQ, I, and I would recommend you deep start following them a bit. Um, they're, they're the quality, safety, what have you group. And they have some really interesting things about decreasing denials through machine learning and uh, analytics for uh, natural language and things like that for documentation. So they've got some, some neat uh, things out there. Um, they also have some social policies. I mean, the other day they had something about a nurse practitioner that's decided to become work with the homeless, and he provides palliative care to the homeless in Seattle under a grant. So they, they're talking about moving huh. a lot of the quality initiatives to cut costs in a higher cost environment such as a facility out into the, uh, the, the community. So they have Curious. some ideas there if you're looking for some things on, in that regard, uh, grants and what have you. So I like them because they kind of, they, they meet my um, I want to help everybody concept. Um, and it's a little hmm. bit uh, nice change from hearing about the racks every day. Yeah. And they have stuff okay. you can pop into your appeals too. I like that. <laughs> um, okay, we had somebody asking about, you know, whether or not um our CEUs will be accepted by AAPC. We don't apply for AAPC uh because they they charge they charge money for that. And to do this every week, uh I don't right. I don't charge anything. I don't get it I don't get paid enough to do this show. Uh, to Mary. do that, but yeah, Mary. go ahead. This is Mary. Uh, I can get at least one CEU for you. I'm a um, licensed instructor through the APC, so I will oh, apply. Really? It, yes, and I will apply. I started to do it before, but I didn't. I knew you were at that time. You wasn't giving out CEUs, so I oh. didn't want to start something. So I will apply. It may take me about a week or two to get it, and when I get it, Ernie, I'll scan it to you, and then you can. Um, to the I can I can post it here. Okay. Yeah. Yes, you can post it. Mhm. Great. Okay. One, but I'll try to get 1.5. Okay. All right. Cool. That'll be uh, people will like that. Great. Thanks, Mary. Mhm. Um, 
Okay, so uh, let me think here. All right, I guess we're just ready to move on. Um, now, we did, that's pretty much news. You know, a couple other things I want to make sure to tell everybody about is we do still have our uh, OPPS final rule webinar is still up for you to watch um, for free. That was sponsored by Zermed, so they made it possible for us to put this up and offer it for free. Uh, Bill uh, and Jagna Shaw were both presenting uh, in that show. It's 90 minutes, and there is a there is at least the uh, CCMA CEU for two CEU, two hours. Uh, again, I would I would take those and submit them to your. I'd call your organization and ask them, will you accept this CEU? Uh, that's that's what I do if I were you. Anyway, there's the link to it. It's still on our website. You can find it on the front page of the Field Academy and still go pick a day and time uh, to watch it. Or I think you can even watch the replay immediately. <clears throat> I think I've still got that set up. Anyway, then uh, there's a new webinar. The last show we did in 2016 was about Section 603, and we had Jugna Shaw and Valerie Wrinkle uh, come talk about that. Uh, and even though that was 90 minutes, there's still so much confusion about this situation and there's a lot of details that they couldn't they still couldn't go through so they're doing a webinar on February 1st there's a link to it in the deck um, and you can uh, you can go sign up for that so I wanted to let everybody know about that and I do encourage you to to uh, to go uh, to go pay attention to that it's a very it's a very difficult situation and that that we did talk about it on that show, you can go watch that, of course, for free. Just go into our past uh, Finally Friday shows and you can find that. This week, of course, we have Mary talking about these major coding changes uh, that, you know, that are now coming up because uh, AHA issued uh, a bunch of comments in, uh, in the, uh, the, the fourth quarter 2016 um, coding clinic update. So that's basically what we're talking about today. And, you know, the trouble with changes, I mean, there's been a lot of changes in 2016, right? The trouble with changes is that the more you go through them, the more you feel like, you know, you're, you're about to walk off the edge of a cliff. Uh, and, frankly, this is, that is kind of the way I feel about a lot of things going on these days. Maybe you feel the same way. It's kind of like, you know, is nothing sacred? A lot of things uh, got bashed around. Uh, this past uh, 15 months or so, uh, and you just wonder, you know, what's what else is going to change? There was the big shocker of Brexit, uh, you know, nobody or the, you know, the pundits, the world didn't think that was going to happen, and it happened. Then, you know, Trump won the election. Uh, virtually nobody thought Trump was going to win, uh, and yet he won. And then, you know, maybe that's not the only changes coming up. There's some changes coming up that who knows uh, what Trump is going to do or whatever kind of changes will happen. But the good thing is we can all, here's, I thought Bud Light had the right, had the right idea. Let's just, let's just, let's just be in the right now and uh, raise one to the right now. So I thought that was a, I thought that was a good idea and a fun campaign. But basically the, the thing about changes is you are going to have to act now. You do not have a choice about these kind of changes. And that's what Mary's going to tell us about now. So, uh, Mary, I'm done. Um, okay. I think I've still given you control, so you've got the slides. Have at it. 
Okay, thank you, Ernie. Uh, thanks, everyone, for being on the call today. You know, I am so glad to know that I am not the only person that was looking at Bill's picture and thinking, wow, he looked just like George McClooney or whatever. <laughs> I'm not a Clooney. big TV person. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he looked just like this guy. I just need to, I wish that looked like the woman he married. Unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like Sia every day. I look every time. Nobody really knows what I look like. I'm like Sia yeah. every every week. We're a different person. Oh yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> I actually had uh, some professional photos done um, yesterday. So the next time you all see me, I may look totally different as well. Oh well, very nice. We'll look forward to that, Mary. Look, don't make me look too different. So when people see me in the real world, they go, uh, "Who was that in the picture?" You know that type of thing. <laughs> uh, but today we're going to actually talk about AHA Take. That is the American uh, Hospital Association. They publish a coding clinic. Sometimes we have new people, so I'm not going to assume everybody know everything. Uh, they publish the coding clinics. And this is how I like to refer to the coding clinic. We have our coding guidelines. We have the official coding and reporting guidelines. I consider that my Bible. And the AHA coding clinics are the New Testament, okay? And they should work hand in hand. Maybe not all the time, but pretty much so. So AHA weighed in on some of the changes uh, that took place uh, in October. They also tried to clarify some of those changes. And, of course, if you've been coding for at least two years, you know that sometime when they try to clarify, they actually muddy the water. So let's see what we've got coming up with today. Now, Ernie gave me control, but I'm not used to... Um, there we go. Works fine. Working good. We also, as Ernie said, we put these things together for your education. We're never going to be perfect. Uh, we may not, hopefully we'll be right, but sometimes we can miss it. And like I like to tell my participants, if you hear it wrong, it's your fault, okay? Now, sometimes we hear stuff and we're like, oh, my gosh, they said this. Have we all been to meetings where we heard the same thing and everybody got three different interpretations of it. So uh, we try to be as accurate as possible. But always remember, I always tell everybody, if you're a coder, you are responsible for your coding. You cannot lay the blame at the feet of the AHA or the RAGS or my supervisor. You are ultimately responsible for your coding. Now, sometimes we may have some rules um, in place in our facility that we may have to follow. Um, so, you know, when you have those, you have to follow them. Uh, but ultimately, you're responsible for your coding. So we're going to get right into it today. What we're going to look at today, and I will probably talk about a few things I didn't put in here. We're going to talk about the, the exclude note again, of course, the use of WIF. People are really struggling with the WIF situation. We're going to look at the uh, sequencing guidelines for hypertensive emergency versus hypertension and other related conditions. Uh, coding of LMI within 28 days. Once again, we'll mention a little bit about the code assignment and clinical criteria. Uh, AHA also clarifies some things on pressure ulcers. Um, we're going to review some OB guidelines and use of high-risk supervision codes. Big change there. Newborns affected by maternal factor. 
And also, they want to clarify what our guidelines are we supposed to be using in the outpatient arena. There evidently been some confusion about that. And then, of course, uh, they also mentioned something about hospice. This is my first time seeing um, the Fisher Coding Guideline weighing in uh, on hospice and how to hmm. code hospice. Mm -hmm. So we want to remind everyone that generally speaking, when you have an exclude one note, that means that it is a, a pure exclude one note, supposedly. It means that you are not to code that code there. However, you know, as, when you got 70-some thousand codes, I guess we can make some mistakes. Uh, so there were some mistakes made. There was time when they said, well, uh, this is excluded here. You got to exclude one note. And I didn't put the example here, but if you went to, I think, F32.8, uh, that's a mental health disorder, a behavior health disorder. If you go there, you may see where it said you can't code dysmenorrhea with that. Well, just because someone has dysmenorrhea don't mean they have a mental disorder. So the two may not be related. So if it's clearly documented that the two are not related, then you can code both codes. And of course, anytime you have any doubt about it, you should query the physician. Now, I'm not a query queen, and I really feel physicians are very, they have a lot of work to do, and their prior, first priority to take care of their patients. So we want to limit the number of queries that we're doing. So if it's something you can research and find out on your own before you go to that physician, I certainly encourage that. Um, that would just help keep the physician uh, focused where they want to be focused. Understanding where. Now this is a huge change for us because in ICD-9, any time we had a patient with diverticulosis with a GI bleed, for instance, that's a good example, we could not make a relationship that it was a bleeding diverticular problem. We had to have that relationship made by the physician in the documentation. When we moved into ICD-10, uh, at the very beginning, we saw a lot of things with WIF. But once again, we was using the old ICD-9 coding guidelines that said the physician had to make the relationship. But there were some coders, I remember particularly, uh, one particular coder, uh, supervisor, she was very adamant, especially when it came to the diabetes with the with complications. And she said, no, I think that it means that we can make that decision, uh, that, it's, that we can code it um, as a comp diabetic complication. And we was all like, no, they still have to make the relationship. So now they have come out with ICD-10 and clarified this. And, the, and uh, I also saw Nellie at, um, in October, I went to the HEMA meeting and I did the uh, clinical coding. And Nellie, unfortunately, had to do it by herself. Sue Bowman was an, um, a presenter this year at that meeting. And uh, there was a lot of questions about this. And so Nellie spent some time on this and, of course, the um, clinical uh, documentation issue. But one of the things that they clarified is that the classification now presumes a causal relationship between those two conditions any time it's linked by that word with in the alphabetical index or in your tabular list. So I got some examples of that. 
They, they were very clear that these conditions can be linked even if the physician does not link them. So if your patient have hypertension and then have congestive heart failure, you, the coder, will link those two conditions unless your documentation very specifically say you uh, very specifically state that the hypertension of the CHF is due to something else. But other than that, you can link the two. The same with any diabetes condition. Uh, if somebody come in with a diabetic neuropathy, if they got diabetes on one line, neuropathy on line two, you, the coder, can make that relationship. And uh, I had a friend, we talked about, uh, we're going to talk about this diabetic cataract thing. So once again, in the official coding guideline, the classification presumes that relationship. You do not have to go to the physician and query that physician about hypertension and congestive heart failure or even maybe hypertension or cardiomyopathy, whatever is with. So when you go to hypertension and you go to the word with, this is where you're going to see the conditions that are linked. Now, I know a lot of us are encoder dependent, so our encoder will have to help us out. But you as the coder, always check out your encoder. If you're not familiar with maybe this condition should be linked or not linked, then we will need to go to our index or we'll need to go to our tablet list. Let's always clarify when we are not certain. So what I did was this is, a, of course, a little snippet from the index. And notice how we got hypertension, we got hypertensive, and notice accelerated and malignant is still classified in that I-10 category. Notice you got with heart involvement, and they give us the range of codes. Then we got kidney involvement, and then of course you can see you can come on down, you see cardiorenal, and then you see with heart failure. So you can see the width being related there for you. And like I said, once again, if you're not familiar uh, with your encoder or you're not sure your encoder is leading you down the right path, then of course you would want to go to your book. Now you may have an online book. It doesn't matter whether you have an online book or you have a physical book on your desk. You can always go check it out. All righty. I also want to show you a few other conditions with the word with. We talk about hypertension a lot, we talk about diabetes, but there are other conditions. One of the major ones could be uh, GI bleeding, uh, melina with, um, with uh, uh, a diverticular. And notice, so when the index is interesting uh, on the subject, and that's why I also gave you uh, a snippet from the tablet. When you go to melina, case 92.1, See how I said with ulcer, cold by spite, under ulcer, with hemorrhage? Now, in a primary slot, it's not a big deal. Because if you got melina or you got a bleeding ulcer and they both get a principal diagnosis, you're going to go to the same MSDRG. However, when that ulcer, bleeding ulcer, is in the secondary slot, now that's a huge deal. Because melina or hemimesis is a CC, whereas your bleeding ulcer is a major CC. 
Um, and I started to do it here, but I didn't want to uh, take up too much time with it. One of the things that you can do is go back and read a very, very old coding clinic, probably in the early 90s, that talk about uh, GI bleeding. Because a lot of times we as coders, we say, okay, how much blood do we need to see? Because it can't be quantified sometimes. Also, we're going to have to deal with the fact that your patient, let's say your patient came in with a GI hemorrhage and the patient has diverticular disease. They do the colonoscopy and your physician documents that there's no bleeding. Now as coders, our head says, hmm, can I still make this relationship? Should I make this relationship? And that's something you're going to have to think about. Because sometimes that may, because it's such a, in a secondary slot, it can be such a major change in your MSDRG, you may want to clarify that one. You don't have to, but you may want to, because they tell us that a lot of hemorrhage can spontaneously stop. Uh, just because you have a negative colonoscopy doesn't mean the patient wasn't bleeding. So it's a lot to uh, look at there. Uh, in dealing with uh, GI bleed with diverticular disease, or if you have um, a ga uh, what, gastric ulcer, duodenum ulcer, any type of ulceration. And I thought it was interesting, now when you use GI bleeding in your indexes, you go to gastrointestinal hemorrhage, notice you don't have the width underneath that in that index. You just got K92.2. When you looked at the hemimesis, when you looked at melina, you did have, they said the word with ulcer, uh, with, uh, with diverticular, or whatever the case may be. But you don't have that on the K92.2. Therefore, when you, and so you go say, well, I don't make the relationship in those. Hmm, go to the tabler. You know, in the old days, they taught us you never assign a code unless you went to the tabler first. Um, so go to your tabler, and when you go to the tabler, look at this exclude one note. Notice it got acute hemorrhagic gastritis. And what I want you to see, if you come on down, you got angiodysplasia of the stomach with hemorrhage, diverticular disease with hemorrhage. And then, of course, your gastritis, your duodenitis, and all that. So I want you to see that sometimes that with condition may actually be in your tabular and may not be in the index. So you're always going to need to check for both areas on dealing with WIP. Mary, this is Ernie. Um, okay. So <clears throat> I heard you uh, correctly. Uh, some of these codes, if they are the principal diagnosis, that's not going to change, likely not, I don't know, certainly not, going to change the DRG, uh, which, of course, uh, um, you know that's such a particular DRG. Yeah, yeah but in in the case if it's a if it's a secondary uh, or you know an additional diagnosis uh, and it's not the principal, uh, then it could be a CC or even an MCC. Now, because you then code them uh, with that other code, does that mean it's gonna? Are you gonna get uh, pushback from? I'm wondering if there if that's going to become an auditor issue. 
Well, I think it. I think it is with the diverticular situation with GI hemorrhages. Um, earning, I think it's going to be a big issue in that secondary slot, especially when you got reviewers maybe looking at that colonoscopy report and it will say negative for bleeding. And so now, right. sometimes, and Sharon, you know, you're welcome to jump in because sometimes the physicians will write GI hemorrhage then they'll just write diverticular. But they may not make that relationship. And so unless hmm. he specifically said that diverticular is not bleeding, I am led to the conclusion that the coders can assume that it is, but I'm concerned about that because we know the racks and these third-party reviewers really look at uh, those reports. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, Mary, I think you bring up a great point uh, because we constantly are struggling with that uh, DRG about esophagitis and diverticulosis and diverticulitis. You know, they all kind of sort of fall in that DRG. And I Mm -hmm. think further clarification will be very helpful. And maybe, um, you know, from your talk right now, I'm thinking I'm going to have to go back and revise all the coding clinics, especially the ones that you're highlighting here, because this is going to be um, truly something we're going to have to dig deeper into. Yes. Yeah, and this is, this is Sharon. Yeah, this has been a rack focus, focus item in the past, and I do agree with Mary. There will be heightened focus here. And I think that also the heightened focus is going to come from misunderstanding of the reviewers. You know, that's something we're challenged with all the time. The reviewers don't really understand the guidelines and the clinics. Um, So we're going to have to continually educate them that, yes, we can do this and this is why. You know, Sharon, Hmm. one of the things that they mentioned, um, AJ, in talking about the clinical indicator situation, is that what is printed in the coding clinic is not to be used as quote, clinical criteria. But we all know that the racks do that. They they literally hmm. do that. Yeah. So I, I really think uh, GI bleeding is going to really uh, create some issues because of the fact when that uh, outside reviewer, if they do a colonoscopy, if they don't do a colonoscopy, Dr. Johar may want to weigh in on this, we may not get as much pushback because you can't say it was or wasn't because you did not, um, you didn't do a, 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 some type of scope. But mm, when you that's correct. Scope, and the scope actually say no bleeding, and then the physician never come back and make that relationship, but the coder can, is it something we want to do? Uh, yeah, Mira yeah. makes a great point that, you know, your facility needs to have guidelines on top of these guidelines um, as far as how you're going to approach certain things from a facility perspective because mm-hmm. you could have some doing one thing and some doing another. So it's going to be very important to have these conversations and to help alleviate queries. I think so, too. Uh, CDI could get involved, maybe uh, maybe someone that's uh, over the gastrointestinal department, uh, you know, the gastrology, uh, gastroenterologist could get involved and say, is there anything we can do to help the coders to know what to look for or that CDI person what to look for 
uh, in some of these cases. But I just wanted to put the uh, the GI hemorrhage thing out there because uh, I don't know if the coding clinics are aware of that, you know, it's just a little bit different with these GI hemorrhage. You know, when you have a hypertension and a CHF, it's easy. You're going to have signs and symptoms, hopefully, of CHF if you're going for an acute on chronic or something like that. If the patient just has congestive heart failure, being controlled by medication, then life is pretty easy. So you can really mm. balance that hypertension and CHF. I just don't know if it's going to be as easy to balance the GI bleed and a uh, a diverticular disease or uh, or a uh, ulcer. Hmm. Exactly, and and I will say I hate the with guideline, Mary. I will just throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see why. Yeah. And so once and then dealing with diabetes, Sharon, I thought about you when I was reading one of their examples because once again the diabetes, everything now. Uh, let's do this. Let's kind of skip down. The other thing too before I skip down is this. When you go to the index and you go to diabetes, I think the default is E11. Now, but these this applies to all the diabetic codes, whether E08, E09, E10, E11, or E13. These rules apply to all of them, okay, even though you may not always find it in the index. But one of the things that uh, that they talked about, Ernie, I'm trying to see, get this to move for me. I seem to be stuck, Ernie. Oh, there it goes. Yep, yep, thank you. Uh, so when you go to diabetes, once again, you go to WIF. Notice how they got cataracts. Well, Sharon, you know, you and I was talking about that, how now we're going to see an influx in America of diabetic cataracts, where we never used to see them. So when your data now produce all these diabetic cataracts, it's because the rule changed. And one of the explanations that was given in the coding clinic is that in the last 20 years, they have discovered that a diabetic patient is prone to get cataracts earlier. And that is why that they don't have a problem now with uh, diabetes and cataracts being associated due to studies that have come about. So, and my I'm mother reading. is the outlier who has had a cataract for 20 years and no diabetes, but she's an outlier. <laughs> so, Mary, this is Bill. I'm uh -huh. going to go over to you. I'm going to go over to these bloody electronic health record systems. Okay. Many of these physicians are driven by templates. So when you meet with the department, are there elements that you would suggest that you put in the template, like colonoscopy, uh, sigmoidoscopy, you know, any of these things so they can answer yes or no so that you get to the right thing. The same thing for cataracts, you know. Um, is there anything that will help get us to the right place? For me, Bill, I think as a code of what would get me to the right place is once he does that colonoscopy, they actually document this is not a diverticular bleed, or this is not related to the gastric ulcer. Without that type of doc, especially when there is no bleeding, and a lot of times those scopes are negative because the bleeding can suffice 
Now, if the if the scope shows bleeding, I'm more comfortable with making that relationship because I can defend it. But it's only that I mm-hmm. think when it's negative that we're going to have these problems uh, without the physician specifically documenting that they are not related. Some of the, the EHR templates are now coming up with what they call uh, quick tips. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, is this related is one of them. Right. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to figure out how we use something that really should be in the defense industry that's uh, in healthcare. How How do we get to the point? to get the coders what they need to substantiate the thing. Because half the audit are really about the data isn't there. And it's not there because the old dictation system or narrative has gone away where they used to record all that stuff. Now it's template-driven. If it's not in the template, then it doesn't come through. So I guess the docs have become kind of dependent on these templates now and smart phrases and things like that. So I'm just trying to figure out what we can do well, operationally to, to improve this. Karen? Well, I see a great opportunity, uh, Bill, especially with um, some of the GI stuff, stuff with probation. Um, that system where you get a template and the physician just kind of fills in the blanks, um, that system could allow you to ask that question, is the belief related to the diagnosis? Um, and list the diagnosis. So I think for some of the, the GI that are using some of the software out there to help build that template for you, you have a great opportunity. Now, when it comes to diabetes, um, I think it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult um, related to the volume that you're going to be seeing probably that have that, but also the many different width uh, scenarios that you can have. Um, but I think you could talk through that with your facility and come up with something to um, help you clarify that within the template. But I do see lots of GI opportunity, absolutely, even with um, some of the cardiac stuff. With some of the software they use out there, I could see some, some good opportunity. Mary, let me ask Dr. Hershey's question. So I think he had a question that says that we're using 11.9 here for the unspecified diabetes. How does this affect the type 1 and type 2, I think his question is. Uh, type 1 is E10. Excuse me. Type 1 is E10, and type mm-hmm. 2 is E11. Right. So you okay. answered this question earlier, but, yeah. But once mm. again, uh, in the Coney Clinic, they specifically, Doc, said that these guidelines will apply even to a E13. Correct. So those that, is that what he asked? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is, Mary. He's asking about that. Between ELA and E13, whether you go to that index and find it in the index or not, it's going to apply. Because they had to do, I guess, a default, and we all know when a patient has diabetes and the physician does not document the type, the default is E11. Now, we know that there is an exception for your type 2 patient that supposedly have ketoacidosis. There is no code for a type 2 with ketoacidosis in I-10. So they said the, the workaround, I don't know if they're ever going to give us one, 
but currently the workaround is to go to E13. So if I have to, if I have a patient that they come in with a type 2 diabetic ketoacidosis, they also have CKD stage 3. I am going to code them E1310 or whatever the code is for the ketoacidosis. Then I'm going to add E1322 for the CKD. You have to do that. These these rules are not just for E10 or just E11. They are for all of the diabetic conditions, E08, E09, 10, 11, and 13. Hmm. Did that kind of answer the question? I hope. Maybe? Yeah. I think it, I think it does, yeah. And I think what he, what Dr. Hirsch is not understanding is this. E11.9 replaces 250.00. And 250.00 used to just say, this patient has diabetes, is type 2, there's absolutely no problem. E11.9 says the same thing, but I think they use the terminology unspecified. But it's really not. It is saying this patient is a type 2 diabetic patient with absolutely no problem. Yeah, That's he said that answered question. his question. He's good. Okay. All right. Mm. Okay, Ernie, you going to move the stream or I'm going to move it? Oh, oh sorry. I said something about CDI. One of the problems sometimes I've seen in electronic health record bill, and I think that it depends on the facility. Some of them try to get away with a cheaper version of an EHR. And what I'm seeing sometimes is the physician will pull the code, go to the drop-down box, get the code, but they don't actually have the description in their documentation. They may Absolutely. Pull, <laughs> I hmm. know. And so I've seen some that, that give some of the documentation that drove the code. So where there's these interfaces between coding, documentation, either in either direction without human intervention, I see some of these issues. I also see the auditors on the audit side. I mean, they're not going to read that whole record. I just It's just not going to happen unless it's a level two. So what they're going to do is they're going to put all these codes through their encoder and see the same thing. And then if it's pops out and it's really questionable, they can't figure it out quickly, they're going to probably move it to a denial status um, because of the, the uh, work, work queue. So mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we have issues if we can't find like an overview quickly. So if you've got a sequence that's going to actually possibly raise an eyebrow, it isn't always a bad idea to, to send in, um, well, you can't send it with the original claim, but you can send it when you go to combat the thing. A, a real quick overview as to why you made the decision. Sometimes that works, and if it's a Medicare Advantage plan, I don't know what does work, but, you know, you can try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to answer this question because I, I'm going to have to get off it, too. Uh, I have another okay. call. But the question is here about how do you appeal these things um, based on new guidance um, and, and let's say you had a prior denial before this came out in coding clinic. 
One thing yeah. I like about the way they stated this in, in the coding clinic and in the prior guidance, I think from third quarter, is that they said this has always been a rule. This is something we've always should have been doing. Um, now, they did give us some, some coding clinic guidance a long time ago that talked about you have to clearly establish a relationship. But I would use that coding clinic to say, um, you know, this is something we should have been doing all along. This is why coding clinic tells us that we should be using the alphabetic index with the WIB, and these diagnoses should be associated to it. Pop in that coding clinic and, and do my justification from that way. So there is a little something. They didn't retro it back. Um, but you got to remember, even though that guidance was in nine, now, when we started in 10, they told us that we should be using some of that old coding clinic advice to help us get through some of the rules of 10, but they did clarify it enough, in my opinion, that, look, this is something you should have been doing anyway. This is the direction of WIV as far as um, our um, coding guidelines. So that's what I would use for my appeal if you run into a challenge with this. The other one that I'm looking at too, Sharon, before you jump off, is we've been having a discussion about whether to assume the relationship between diabetes and cellulitis since diabetes has a wolf skin complication. Oh. Hmm. Let's see, you got. So, uh, am I understanding this right that, that, that an outside auditor may not be as cognizant of these with? Uh, combinations as they should be or look in the right Absolutely. way, Mary. So, Absolutely. so this is going to be an audit risk, this, this whiff. And are there action steps we can take? Uh, I mean, a claim form goes in, so there's not much you can do with that. But um, mm -hmm. is there action steps? Should we, be, should we be having our contract management people um, ask for their coding policies on WIF? I mean, what what other things can we do to help not get that denial? I think going back to education, I think everybody needs to be educated about these rules concerning WIF. We got to do a better job of education. And I, I agree with Sharon, some of these, I always like to try to rack proof or audit proof my coding. Mm -hmm. Some of these going to have to have a facility guideline so people know what to do. You got to, and you need to make sure something is in place so when you hire that coder or you hire a contract company, they need to know what is your policy concerning this. As a contractor, I'm going to follow the policy. I'm going to follow the rules and the guidelines. And I'm not, your policy can never supersede the coding clinic policies or the rules and guidelines, but they can help clarify. And I think that, hmm. to me, is the biggest issue with this WIF in dealing with certain conditions is making sure that they are being clarified. And I think that um, one of the things, Sharon, that um, in the past, but it's like you said now, they have told us we can use some of these old coding clinics for 10 unless they have specifically addressed the issue in 10. 
And so we're going to have to go back and find coding clinics to help support what we are doing now. When it comes to um, the clinical documentation issues, the way of uh, Nellie explained it and the way it is in this coding clinic now, this have always been the rule that if a physician documented something, we should code it to me if it meets the UHDDS guidelines. How that physician arrives at his interpretation to get that diagnosis. Now, the RACs or whoever can question that, but if they, because I got one on my desk now where I'm going to get ready to fight an acute respiratory failure. The physician documented acute respiratory failure. He documented some signs and symptoms of it. But they're saying we're going to take it away. Well, what makes their criteria better than your criteria? And I think Bill and Sharon are going to touch on this next week. I just put a little slide in here so you'll see it. They talk about individual claims determination. And, and to me, reading through those lines, they are now saying to these reviewers, we want you to make sure you better be able to support this, and we will not lose this when it goes to the administrative law judge. That's my interpretation in reading through mm. the lines. Mm -hmm. So I think Mary, I'll uh, hit on that, but I really want to try to answer this person's question about the diabetes and cellulitis. I see cellulitis as an infection. Are we saying that a diabetic person is more prone to get cellulitis? A lot of things, can, that's a, a loaded question. That patient may have neuropathy. Um, so it could make them more prone to cellulitis, most definitely. Okay. But Mary, I think... Uh uh, mm -hmm. I was just going to interject here. I think uh, we've got we've got yeah. a lot more material to go okay. over. I Let's think go. I want to well, but I think I I think I want to. Um, what do y'all think about uh, maybe just splitting the show and we can do more of it next week? But I don't know if you're available. Um, uh, next Friday I'm available. Let's see what the participant likes to do. I mean, it's always to me we yeah. want them to be happy. Well, I think uh, George George Clooney here would like a separate show. This is really good stuff. Yeah, okay. I, I think this is this is terrific. I think we start next week. We'll start here at the hypertensive okay. uh, crisis codes, and uh, we'll just do. Yeah, <laughs> they're saying uh, uh, we're getting comments. Yeah, separate show, more and more. So um, okay. that sounds good to me. As long as you're available next Friday, we can do that. Um, I am available next Friday, Erin. I don't have anything on the uh, agenda. Okay. And okay. I think as the diabetes and cellulitis. Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea, uh, Mary. We truly appreciate it. And what Dr. Hirsch was saying was that you know maybe um, showing some examples for the okay. not so uh, non CDI non coder kind of folks like us. Okay. Um, it would be it would be really nice to see you know a physician documentation um, and how you know you experts could help us work through that so that we can understand how we can answer that query better, uh, reduce the number of queries, uh, and provide those associations those linkages wherever necessary. Okay, and we will also discuss 
whoever put the question. Ernie, can you type these questions up? Is there a way to type the questions up in the chat box? Yes, yeah, I can do that. If you can send me those questions, then I'll try to make sure we answer them next week. Especially yeah, and, Mar and Maria, Maria, go ahead and send me something about what you just suggested, and uh, we'll all talk about it this coming week, see if we can't get some documentation that may be even be another show, but I think it's a great idea. Uh, I mean, that's why I have people like, uh, you know, this panel put together because you can talk about it from so many different ways and help different people, not just coders, not just the physicians. So, yeah. Yeah, Ernie, we can definitely uh, chat offline uh, with Mary before uh, the second show yeah. and see whether we can, you know, bring some actual examples, some actual denials that uh, yeah. we can work through together. Okay. That would be great. Great, great, yeah. Write me after the show, and that's what we'll do. And now I see here's a question uh, in the chat box about uh, as a nurse and clinical auditor, uh, Andrea wants to know how to get more uh, coding knowledge, uh, boot camps or what. There's so much, yeah, there's so much to learn. It's You can't know all of this stuff. I mean, it's, you know, but that's why we've got this panel and trying to bring it together to point you in the right directions. We'll, we'll, Andrea, we'll, uh, I know Sharon and, and Mary can make some definite suggestions about that kind of stuff. And then there are boot camps coming up and, uh, as well as, you know, shows for UR and physician advisors. There's several shows that we recommend, um, for people say, like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is Sharon. Mary uh, brings just real-world coding knowledge um, to this stuff because she mm -hmm. can speak the new 10 codes and she can relate them to nine and um, just give you some some really good real-world how-to-proceed kind of input um, down to the level that all of us can understand. Um, so definitely, you know, tune in to, to what Mary has to offer next week. You know, I think uh, Bill and Sharon had approached me this week about putting some resource pages on Appeal Academy because we haven't had any of those in a while. So I think that's going to be something that we'll put up with suggestions about boot camps and things that we think are valuable and worth going to, you know, for these different subjects. We we can't do everything, obviously, but um, so we'll do that uh, as well. And I and – yeah, I also wanted to point out Mary inadvertently touched on a hot button for me. Many, many, many facilities use off-site coding, and they don't have internal quality assurance looking at the quality of the work that's being done off-site, or they can't review them all, obviously. So that mm -hmm. is always a big, a big issue. Um, you know, you may have a policy on how you're supposed to code something internally, but if that goes to an outside vendor, the question is, are they being held accountable for your policies and procedures? And when I do a lot of these reviews, I find out half the time when you talk to the off-site people, they're like, what are you talking about? They've never seen the policy. Maybe their management has as part of the contract, but the actual line coders have not. So this is a very important reason to have quality assurance within your internal organization. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's um, 
I do think, you know, we talk about it's like Top Gun Audit School. We talk about, you know, avoid audit. But you're never going to be able to get rid of audits. Audits are going to happen. They're a fact of life. They happen in every business in the world. So if money's being exchanged hands, there's going to be audits. So you can't get rid of audits, but you can learn how to defend against denials. Uh, and that's the thing that we want to we want to focus on. So um, anyway, yeah, but that's a, that's a great point, Bill, and we'll talk about that some more. So listen, we are we are out of time for today, but listen, the deck is up uh, on the website, folks. So go get that. Uh, thanks for being a part of our first show of 2017. We will we'll come back next week and we'll work it out with Mary and have some some more of these suggestions and um, see what we can do about answering some questions better. Uh, and um, there's also um, there's a bunch of new stuff about the appeals process that CMS just published, so we may have something to say about that, but uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, so watch for my email announcements this, this coming week. Thanks to everyone for participating today. Great discussion in the, in the chat box, great, great comments and questions. Special thanks, of course, to... Mary Gregory and MAS Coding Solutions. Of course, Dr. Johar, Bill, and Sharon. Uh, thanks to everyone who participated today. And, of course, we owe thanks to our sponsors and our partners, the Health Law Partners, Zermed, Recovery Analytics, uh, and the CCMA. It's their contributions that continue to make these broadcasts possible. So watch for my emails about the January 20 show. And please share the links to our show with your colleagues and friends. And the last thing I wanted to share with you, again, I wanted to remind you about the OPPS final rule uh, webinar that is still available. Uh, also the webinar by, um, by Valerie and Jugna. And then basically the last thing I just want to say is, look, this is, you know, found this this week in my, in my research for the show. Happiness is not what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you in times of change. Lots of big changes. Stay calm. We're going to help you as much as we can. So I hope you have a, a great week and a great weekend. We'll talk to you all next week. We'll see you next time. It's finally Friday. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.